All right. Welcome to Acquisitions Anonymous. Uh, today is the first and hopefully first of many uh, new formats that we're trying this year, um, which is uh, conversations around how-to topics that we repeatedly hear over and over again on social media. Uh, I am your host, Michael Gridley. I am here with Bill D'Alessandro and special guest and all-around badass Mitchell Baldridge, uh, who is a CPAA and all-around cool guy that we know from Twitter and other parts beyond. And today, um, we wanted to dig into one of the things we hear about over and over again, uh, which is I'm buying a business how do I make sure that after I own it, I don't run out of money? And there's all kinds of things that get thrown around, EBITDA, net operating income, free cash flow from operations, EBIT, um, and all those things kind of tie back together to, I've got this thing, and how do I make sure that I'm not going to be in big trouble uh, if cash flow gets wonky or I run out of money or any of those kind of things? So um, yeah, so you guys own a business, you just bought it. How do you make sure you don't run out of money? Yeah, I think this is a stupid question because the the future version of this question is I've run out of money. Why? <laughs> right. So at, at least the asker here sees it coming. Yeah. Or at the the and thank you all for having me back, by the way. But uh, or at the, you know. Day after closing, when they realize that there's no working capital in the business and <laughs> that, you know, there is a cash flow cycle that's going to take longer than, uh, you know, the next 17 days of, you know, two payrolls that that no one ever thought about when they were buying the business. So, yeah. So, so what, what is a cash flow cycle? Like if if there's people who they don't teach that in college, like what what is it? I guess that's how long does it take to prospect, sell, deliver, and receive cash for the product you're selling? And what is your general administrative costs related to that sale over that amount of time? And then what are the hard costs of what you're actually delivering through that amount of time? And how long is it going to take to generate your gross profit and net profit, right? <laughs> or yeah, dig of. it. So if I'm trying to put together a picture of what all that is, like what are the tools in my arsenal? So like there's like a budget, there's my bank statements. Like what what are the things I should be looking at as a small business owner to say, okay, these are the tools I can deploy to solve this kind of problem of, I don't want to run out of money and call dad or mom. <laughs> Or worse, grandma. That, you don't want to call grandma. Then, then you know things are bad. Always call grandma first. <laughs> she she, she just ruined Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think what this, what this so often comes down to is that people tend to run their business on the income statement when sure. they really should run the business on the cash flow statement. Um, because, I mean, I have, as a short personal anecdote, I almost bankrupted my business in 2015 because I did not do this. Wait, um, you we, say they run it on the income statement. They run it out of their checking account. Actually, well, that's even worse. So, that's a good, that's yes. a good point. Yes. So the income statement's a good a good business, right? But uh, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Uh, so, for example, so at the time uh, I was running a sunscreen brand, uh, very seasonal, high working cap, right? So we would have to order months in advance uh, before summer, and then if we didn't sell through, we'd basically have to sit on it for you know six months until it would sell again. Um, and at the end of every, and the business was growing. So at the end of every year, I was like, the PL says I made money, but my bank balance is lower. 
Like, what is going on? Um, and it was because all of that cash was sitting on the shelf in inventory. Because um, as we were growing, we we're having to buy more and more inventory, and it was sucking cash. So even though the income statement said that net income was, you know, fu- was plenty positive, uh, if I looked at the cash flow statement, I would have then seen cash out the door for a growth in inventory balance. Um, so you know, kind of my at the very top level, I think it's learning the difference between an income statement and a cash flow statement. Yeah, and uh, I mean also. I think it was the, who was it? The Home Depot founder, his book, uh, I forget the book name. Someone's yelling at me right now, but, uh, you know, everyone's looking at this figure called EBITDA, but what does EBITDA mean when you actually do have to pay depreciation because you have to go buy new equipment at some point, whether you use a loan or not. And you do have to pay taxes. So uh, why are we looking at businesses and throwing out depreciation and throwing out amortization and throwing out taxes when they are real expenses? And and so, and if you bought a business, the interest is real expense as well. Uh, You know, as is the amortization of your principal is real money out the door. So, yeah. So you're, yeah, you go, okay, well, I am making this forced savings of this amortization of my principal, but it doesn't help me buy more sunscreen. And yeah, the interest is going straight out the door and I, I depreciated this forklift and yeah, I have a five year note, but in five years, I'm going to need a new forklift or, or however long this equipment lasts. It's, it's, you can't just disregard it and throw it out the window. And then beyond that, I, and I, I tweeted this a while back, but like it, it, a lot of people think they're really smart right now because of ERC, PPP, EIDL. There, there's been so much government stimulus that's just cranking through that people think they made money and they didn't make money. They got bailed out essentially. Yep. Um, let's, let's talk about a couple things. Let's talk about the common things that bridge between like an EBITDA number. So if you buy a business, I mean, podcast is acquisitions anonymous. People are trying to buy businesses, right? Uh, a business is typically, if you're buying it, they're going to report to you an EBITDA number typically as Mitchell said, uh, EBITDA for the non-accounting inclined is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So it basically means you start with net income and then you add back those things. Um, you also add back a whole bunch of adjustments if your broker is worth their salt, um, which you need to question in the- Your, your kid, the son's gas card. Yeah. Um, gotta- including everything from boats to country clubs, uh, memberships, et cetera. Um, but so obviously there is taxes, right? We all got to pay taxes. Most LLCs have to make a tax distribution every year to all of their members at the highest tax bracket. So right there, and that's by the way, not going to show up, you know, on your, on your EBITDA at all. So you've got kind of 40% of net income, which is going out the door in the form of taxes, which can be especially brutal if you don't, you might not have the cash because you might have plowed it all into working capital, which we're going to get to in, in a little bit. So I've seen a lot of businesses struggle to even pay their taxes because they have plowed all the money back into inventory. Um, There's also interest there. So if you bought a business with debt, you're going to be paying interest, which is not in EBITDA. 
Um, then there is depreciation and amortization. Uh, again, for the non-accounting inclined, depreciation is usually uh, an accounting treatment where you bleed off the value of physical assets over their useful life, whereas amortization is the same concept but for intangible assets broadly. Mitchell, please don't skewer me if those definitions are not exactly correct. That's <laughs> about right. But generally, <laughs> um, so those are generally non-cash expenses. But so you don't have to pay those out of your pocket, but they are indicators that your forklift, as Mitchell alluded to earlier, is getting crappier and crappier every year and will buy about that much money and will eventually need to be replaced. Um, so I, Scoop Bad Mills isn't here because he's always the one that pounds the table on the capital assets with this business are garbage. You're going to have to replace all the trucks in five years and it's going to cost a million dollars and it's not in the financials. Well, the same um, thing even exists in real estate where people talk about bonus depreciation in real estate and how great it is. But yet, meanwhile, every 10 years, you're going to have to go rehab all those apartments if you want to. Yeah, it needs a new roof or whatever them. it is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So there is, there is a benefit to all the depreciation and amortization, which becomes you're much more bankable than intangible businesses. So banks like it when you have uh, things they could go find that they can touch and they figure they can resell because they have residual value. So equipment, real estate buildings, uh, furniture fixtures, all that stuff is things that then allow you another tool that you can use if cash flow gets gets lumpy on you, which is lines of credit, right? So, sure. um, so you can go to a bank and you can say, hey, here's my balance sheet for my business. This is me. Here's my personal balance sheet. Uh, and then you're able to say, hey, we're going to make a million dollars this year in terms of profit. Can we have a line of credit for 500000 um, And the bank may ask you to, sometimes the bank will say, yes, congratulations. Here's your line of credit. More likely, they will say, hello, small-time entrepreneur. Uh, we would like you to personally guarantee this uh, so yep. that we know we're going to get paid back uh, unless you declare bankruptcy and then we're still going to come after your assets. So uh, that is one of the tools you can use to bridge this stuff. And I, I am involved in businesses that are asset light and still have lumpy cash flow. And we have lines of credit there to help bridge that out. Uh, and with today's interest rates, it can be a pretty good deal. Yep. I, I always tell business owners that the kind of the two things you use debt for are the first one that you just mentioned, Michael, which is to smooth out lumpy operations mm -hmm. uh, and also to finance assets that can be used as collateral that tend to grow as your business grows so if you're business if you're an inventory based business and you need to buy more and more and more inventory or more and more machines more and more trucks more and more any kind of physical asset uh, that your business requires as it grows uh, that is that asset is collateral a bank will loan against. So you should typically be looking to deploy debt capital to help you scale into those assets rather than equity capital. Uh, it pains me so often, especially in my business, consumer products, where I see these scaling brands and they raise $5 million because they don't have any cash and they basically just use the money to buy inventory, um, which when they could have just easily gone to get a line of credit. Well, there, well and there's also in... Uh, businesses that are low asset but have recurring revenue, things like pipe out there, or or basically new revenue factoring tools that will, or factoring being, we're going to give you your revenue up front, or we're going to give you a port a credit line based on what we know essentially you're going to bill and collect over the next X days. 
so that you can um yeah use use debt rather than equity to finance your ongoing growth hey everybody michael here um we have an advertiser for today's podcast. It's the David C. Barnett uh, Small Business and Deal Making uh, and M&A podcast. Um, so David is the distinction of our number one Canadian uh, Canadian sponsor. Uh, and it's a podcast all for people who are interested in buying, selling, financing, uh, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and he focuses on a lot of really, I think, great tactical and strategic issues here. Um, buying in an industry when you don't have any experience, broker commission when there's a seller note and all that kind of stuff. Um, so thanks to David for supporting uh, the episode today. Um, and so David is doing a special deal for our listeners. You can get a free copy of this book, 21 Stupid Things People Do When Trying to Buy a Business. Um, and you can download that um, when you um, go to the link in our show notes. Um, and it's on his Gumroad site um, where he has some stuff around that. And uh, so check that link below. And thanks again to David and his podcast for sponsoring our podcast and our never-ending quest to break even. So uh, have a great day. I have been in business a while. This is the easiest credit market I've ever seen for small businesses or for small-scale assets since the Great Recession. <laughs> like the, the, We don't have the no-no mortgages right now, but we do have the, oh, congratulations, you'd like to borrow money for 10 years? It's 3.5% amortizing. Thank you very much. 80% loan to value. Uh, well, that's like, the SBA though, right? I mean, that's that's not even the market. That's the distortion, right? That's not us. We just did a deal last week borrowing money at that rate for land. Curious, how big, how big was the deal? Uh, it was just over seven figures. So million, million wow, and a half. That's, so. You got to introduce me to your banker. That is phenomenal. Well, you know, when you're, when you're the that, bird monster, they uh, they roll out the red carpet. Uh, <laughs> you can walk just, into any bank in San Antonio, get that deal. Yeah. Uh, this but, Texas is a hugely competitive lending market. Every, every It's kind of like everybody wants to deploy their capital in Austin multifamily right now. Everybody, every bank wants to be huge in Texas. So uh, it's very competitive. I've heard the 10-year the interest-only Jumbo home mortgage is is a hot ticket item that I've heard of lately. So, I I, essentially, so. <laughs> a, a lot of people are. It, yeah, I mean, it, we're talking about business cash flow statements, but if you're a small business owner, you also have to globally step back and, and loop your personal life into your business balance sheet and go, okay, well, I have this cash in my business, but I have this you know, million dollar, 10 year IO home mortgage that's going to balloon in 10 years, presumably that hopefully I can refinance out of, but like you then have to loop your personal balance sheet into your business and understand what, what is the opportunity cost of what debt do you own personally or what deferred maintenance do you own personally or what assets do you have that you're not really even considering, uh, you know, uh, when you're a small business, it's all one thing. So, um, yeah, well, and I, I would say there's an asterisk on that. Like the cheapest money you can borrow right now, like it always is a home mortgage. Like there's a school sure. of thought that if you're, before you take on business debt, you should be taking on home, home mortgage debt. 
Um, that stuff's going to be super duper cheap. I, I have a home mortgage. It's a great deal. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the way it should be. Um, I, I think you have to be really insane on the income wealth scale to not have one. Anyway, uh, it's just cheap, cheap, easy money. Um, so yeah. I, I would say that's one thing where you're right. You want to build up assets in your personal life and make sure that's not going to be a ding against your business when you go to borrow there if you need to. Um, but how, you know, how also, much do you do you pull out of your business every month out of your business cash flow to live your personal life? Because if you can yeah. just roll the whole thing forward, you can compound your business a lot faster than if you have to pull out uh, thirty seven thousand dollars a month to live your life. You know, it, it just it's a give and take there. Thirty seven thousand. Sure. How do you live on thirty seven thousand? What are you, uh, what are, not what are you buying with thirty seven thousand? I have no idea. <laughs> I have my nanny. I don't even know what I could spend that much money on. Like, what are you, what are you buying? Legos? Remember the, the, the $200,000 nanny? <laughs> remember, uh, Molson I remember that. With that, oh, one. that was, uh, that yes. was like four Twitter meme cycles ago. I can't, I, I can't <laughs> even yeah, keep that's up. Yeah, good memory, Mitchell. Uh, uh, so what metrics do you guys prefer then? So, I mean, to for for the question of measuring, am I, is my business generating cash? Once you're an operator, what metrics do you guys use or what tools do you guys use? For for me, like I, for, and for all the business I'm involved in, there's two major tools, right? There's a cash flow model, which is I want to see, okay, what is your cash flow going to look like week after week, month, month, month after month, quarter after quarter through the year? And that needs to tie back to what their pro forma budget is for the coming year, right? And so I can say, okay, well, you know, it's really easy for a CEO. There are, most CEOs are very growth oriented. They're say, okay, this year I'm going to do 2 million in revenue. Well, like break that down for me. I want to see a cash flow model of what it's going to look like each quarter because it does me no good if your uh, cash flow model shows me that you're going to burn 6 million through the year and then do 8 million uh, on, on one night at the end of the year, by the way, I just described the fireworks business too. <laughs> so it's really hard. Uh, anyway. Um, and then, and so that's a much worse business than one that's generating every week, cash over cash over cash. And it's de-risk that way. Um, so those are the two tools, like I'm going to want to see. And so it's much easier said than done. That's the second point about that. Like I know businesses that are $40 million top line that have trouble generating a quarterly cash flow model for years. Like it is because there's so many things moving. Um, so that's where I think it's like super important as a small business person. Like you need to have your annual plan for the year, which is your budget and your pro forma of what you expect stuff to look like. And then you need to build a cash flow model. Like how much cash am I burning or am I growing? in terms of what I have each individual week, because you want to start doing that when your business is small, not when you're at 30 million and 5 million in profit. And you have to say, hello, CFO, welcome to your first day of job. I need all of this stuff. Uh, so we don't go bankrupt and problems get really big at that point. So those are my two big tools. Just if you go in, if you've been running your business for the last five years and you plan to run it five more years, if, if you go into your QuickBooks and you print out one thing I love looking at just even in my business is print out your balance sheet, your profit and loss and your statement of cash flows and print them out over a 13 month period or a 12 month period and print out the monthly view as columns and just watch how your money fluctuates. Watch how your top line revenue changes, watch how your salaries change, watch how your cost of goods or whatever your input changes and then do the same thing 
on your cash flow statement. It, watch how money goes in, watch how profits get made, watch how money goes out. It, it, you'll learn a lot about your business cycle or, or you'll learn a lot about last year at least. And then you'll be able to do more of what Girdley's talking about, which is, well, what is next year going to look like? I, I know I had this top line revenue goal. Well, what's going to happen to the input? Well, what's going to happen to the GNA? Well, am I going to have to go borrow money? I had to borrow, you know, if I, if I didn't get this $150,000 EIDL loan last year, I would have lost money. I thought I made money. You know, I, I mean, you start to realize the real honest inputs of of where your money is coming in from and and how profitable you are just if if everything was stripped out of your business. Yeah, I love I love the idea of printing out the balance sheet month to month to month because that's I think what gets so many people on it from a cash flow point of view is that variations in the balance sheet accounts impact sure. your cash. As your inventory grows, that sucks cash. As your accounts receivable grows, that sucks cash because you're floating your customers, right? You recognize revenue, but you didn't bring the cash in. As your accounts payable grows or your credit card balances, it generates cash, right? So understanding the puts and takes the cash flow that are balance sheet generated, I think is what so many people miss. And by doing that monthly, like you talked about, Mitchell, I think it'll let people see it month to month. Yeah. And you're either doing the fireworks business model or the sunscreen model of gearing up, gearing up, gearing up all year. And then, you know, you have this huge sales event and then you have whatever's left and then you have to gear up again. There's other businesses that actually effectively work in reverse. Uh, uh, like Nathan Barry was talking about how they uh, every year do this big year end sale and he gets most of his income on one day for convert kit where everyone re ups. And then that's all, deferred revenue, which sounds like the best business in the world, uh, but you even have to manage that. Of We just got our huge chunk of revenue for this year all on one day, and now we have to manage cash through the rest of the year, and we have to grow new customers through the rest of the year. And how do we do that? You operate those two businesses very differently from a cash management standpoint. <laughs> one of them is probably a better problem than the other, but Nonetheless, they're both problems. Negative cash conversion cycles. It's, that, the, hottest, it's the hottest thing. You can, you can have you can read wherever you want on the internet. I've, I'll I'll stick with that phrase. Um, well, cool. I think I think we've done good. One thing I wanted to add when I thought about this topic, and I'll give you guys a chance to say something before we close. But like, I think going to this issue of your cash management and how do you make sure you don't run out of cash? It, it comes back to this issue of how do you think about making your business anti fragile. Right. And so for me, like all businesses die because they run out of cash. Like that's just the way it works. Um, and so for me, whenever I have something like I want to make sure like there's a plan A, a plan B, a plan C and a plan D that I know I can go through all those options to make sure that there's always money in the banana stand. Right. Like that's, that's how I'm going to go out to, if you're, that's an arrested development reference, if you guys aren't Gen Xers. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you cliff notes, but like, okay, number one, like 
you know, am I going to make sure like there's enough co- money in the company and that's plan A? Okay, plan B, we're going to have a line of credit in case I need it. Okay, plan C, like I'm going to know that I can call a relative like grandma. And if grandma doesn't work out, then I know I can go sell equity. And I know there's these five people I would call. Like that is going to be my way. I'm going to make sure like bankruptcy is not an option because I have these five different ways I figured out how to make my business anti-fragile, but I'm planning on never getting past past A plan a which is make sure like we don't run out of cash so yep, we uh <laughs> it was let me put it this way in early 2020 when the shit was hit the fan we were glad we already had lines of credit in place yeah because when you need the money no one wants to put a line of credit in place go get it now totally all right awesome job guys we'll click uh click send on this one and uh we'll catch y'all next time